Welcome into the Solo Shot Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dom Manna. Happy Solo Shot Saturday, everybody. We are up to 3,082 solo shots on the tracker. Unfortunately, our friends over at Only Homers have still not had any fixes or updates to their website. So I've had to find the statistics for the solo home runs the old-fashioned way, get up to date. And we'll be back on TikTok at Solo Shot Sports with the daily updates right here after the show. This is an absolutely packed show. We have only a couple weeks left in the season, only a couple Solo Shot Saturdays left of regular season baseball, pushing towards the postseason, and a team that started off right there with the Tampa Bay Rays, arguably better than the Tampa Bay Rays in the first half, the Tampa Bay Rays who have honestly been to hell and back this season. The Rays had Jeffrey Springs at the beginning of the season, looked like a steal in my fantasy baseball draft. Best starter in baseball for his first two and a third starts ends up having to have Tommy John. There was drama during the season with Wander Franco about him getting benched for his maturity. We all know how that ended up in the second half. Drew Rasmussen going down with Tommy John yet again in his career. I believe it's his third Tommy John surgery. And then Shane McClanahan, a guy who was a front runner for the American League Cy Young Award, going down as well, needing Tommy John. But this Rays team have continued to make me eat my words about them not being in the AL playoff picture during my preseason predictions. And this race resurgence is real. I need to give them their flowers. They're playing an absolutely important series right now against Baltimore. They've won the first two games, one a close one, four to three, the other one in dominant fashion. And they are for real. This Tampa Bay Rays team, it seemed like they gave up a lot to get Aaron Savale over from the Cleveland Guardians because of their pitching woes. But their rotation, with a healthy Tyler Glasnow, striking out 14 batters in six in a third inning. You have a young stud in Taj Bradley, who's been giving you innings all year. Zach Eflin, who is the highest paid free agent in the history of the Tampa Bay Rays franchise, has been consistently giving you a three and a half ERA all season one of the American League leaders in whip. This Rays team just continues to be next man up. And they're looking at a guy in Yandy Diaz, who has been the MVP of this lineup, one of the few everyday players the Rays have that doesn't platoon. A guy who's batting 300, 400 on base, 500 slug. He is a guy who will probably get top 10 MVP votes and not be talked about with how important he was for this season. A guy who kind of is like a post hype sleeper. One of the most jacked players in major league baseball, Yandy Diaz, amazing season. And this Rays team, despite the historic first half, despite falling off in the Orioles catching up because of a terrible July, the Tampa Bay Rays are 27 and 13 since the month of August. And they are now tied for first place with the Baltimore Orioles. I'm not surprised 
this team, no matter who's in there, just continues to get hits, pitch quality starts, use the bullpen properly. And this Rays team surging back in what is super important because you're looking across the league and you've been one of the top five teams in baseball all season. But for a stretch there, one of the teams that was ahead of you in the top five was in your own division in the Baltimore Orioles. The Orioles have had a traumatic injury that I think definitely slowed their role. We'll get into that in just a moment. But the Tampa Bay Rays coming all the way back and looking to leave here with a division lead in this series against Baltimore. I think they need their flowers. They haven't been talked about quite enough. I know the last time I talked about them on the show, it was about McClanahan's injury and the Wander Franco situation. So the last time we left them, it was negative. But now the Rays, they're overcoming adversity and they're showing why they're one of the most consistent class acts in Major League Baseball. Now, the UCL, known as the ulnar collateral ligament, it's been making a headline so far in the second half. And I like to rebrand the UCL as the unlucky catastrophic losses that we've had this season, especially here in the second half. The two biggest ones, of course, being Shohei Otani, who has a partially torn UCL and now broke this morning or late last night, wherever you were listening, that his locker is cleared out of the Angels dugout. He no longer has his stuff in the dugout because he now has suffered an oblique injury as well on top of the partially torn UCL. He's a guy who is already the slam dunk American League MVP, has free agency coming up, and it looks like Shohei Otani is making that business decision that I talked about right before the UCL happened a little bit too late. But Shohei Otani, the best player in the sport, having this UCL injury, it really just took the wind out of his sails, took the wind out of the Angels' sails. Mike Trout went right back on the IL. And honestly, the UCL has come up and made its kind of big debut. I feel like the UCL doesn't get talked about this much during a baseball season, but the players that have been having these UCL injuries, just top of the line. The next one, talked about the Baltimore Orioles, terrible loss. Felix Bautista, we don't know if he's going to pitch again this season with his UCL injury. The best closer in the American League, arguably in all of baseball. The Orioles starting rotation had been above league average, but nothing that you get really scared of. But when you got to the back of the game and you had to face Cano and then Bautista, that's why the Orioles have been so well-rounded. They haven't been swept since Adley Rushman's been called up, but a lot of that also has to do with Felix Bautista in the back of that bullpen, not allowing those sweeps to happen. Closing out games, being that dominant force, a guy who was probably going to get top 10 Cy Young votes with how dominant he was this season out of the bullpen. And then finally, the Baby Bombers. They just had a huge series win against my Boston Red Sox. And Jason Dominguez, the Martian, their number one prospect who they've been hyping up for a very long time, 
also has a UCL tear. He'll be going under the knife. He's going to miss at least half a next season. This is a 20-year-old center fielder, a guy who has given the Yankees lineup hope, given the Yankees fans something to cheer for, a new jersey to buy. And Jason Dominguez, a couple weeks into his major league career, UCL injury, because it's just the trendy thing to do in baseball right now. I hope all of these players recover well. Sandy Alcantara has a UCL sprain that has kept him on the IL. They don't know if he's going to pitch again this season because the Marlins aren't really in the playoff race. The UCL has been a problem all season long, but especially the last month or so. Brutal, brutal news. And adjacent from the UCL. Max Scherzer. His pitching season is done for the regular season, and he's unlikely to pitch in the playoffs, leaving the struggling Texas Rangers, who I've been high on all season. And part of the reason I said that I'm not worried about them is because they have Max Scherzer, and now he's done. They have to lean on Nathan Eovaldi, who's been struggling since he came back from injury. John Gray. This rotation is good, but... It's definitely taken some big losses. DeGrom and Scherzer, the biggest names, but they've missed months from other guys as well. And just these losses are piling up across the league when the games matter most. So if any of your teams have suffered these losses, I'm sorry. I've been through injuries myself, and I hope these players come back stronger and take care of themselves first and foremost. Don't try to rush back and suffer injuries that can be long-lasting, like a Steven Strasburg, who had to retire from Major League Baseball with how bad the injuries were. But a team that hasn't had catastrophic losses, a team that has been a symbol of excellence, consistency, and honestly, utter dominance, is the Beasts in the East the Atlanta Braves, who on September 13th clinched their sixth straight National League East title, as I predicted before the season, but nobody thought they'd be clinching it on September 13th. Nobody thought they would be pushing for the record for most home runs hit by a team in a season. Nobody thought that Ronald Cunha would be playing almost every single game and pushing for 40 home runs and 70 RBI and 70 stolen bases. Are you kidding me? This Braves team is unbelievable. Matt Olson's been on a power surge lately. I've seen him in the solo shot tracker quite a bit as I've been catching up. Over 50 home runs, a guy who has a chance to hit 60. And truly just unbelievable, this Braves team. They just do things the right way, and they don't just do winning baseball, but they know how to make a culture. Players that want to play every day. Young guys who have inked up and said, this is where I want to be for the next six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. Their core is locked up. And yes, there's guys like Max Freed, who's going to be a free agent after next season. And some pitchers that they don't have completely locked up. But do you know what the easiest thing to do is? Go out there and pay a starting pitcher. Trade for a contract pitcher during the deadline. Go and get that pitcher that you're missing. But building a young core that is this dominant, 
Acuna, Albies, Olsen, Riley. You're getting amazing contributions out of guys like Marcelo, Zuna, Orlando, Arcia. This team is just one of the best we have seen in this modern era. And they're celebrating. They're getting bulletin board material with Rob Thompson saying, act like you've been there before. This Braves team needs to go to the World Series. And I think they should be the favorites to win it. But man, congratulations to the Braves. I know a lot of the fans have been enjoying this ride so much. And the best part about it is this team, this nucleus, is not going anywhere. You have them locked up. You just need to continue to supplement with the right veterans, the right pitchers, the right bullpen arms. And this core, this lineup, is going to mash for the next half decade. Easily. Throwing back down the third base line, I like to highlight this day in sports history when an amazing thing happened in the sport. And usually I'm between a couple things. There's usually one thing that really sticks out or a couple things that I'm really torn between. But I got to tell you, September 16th is one of the most amazing days in the history of baseball that I've looked at so far. And it really has to start all the way back in 1909. I was looking at this. President William Howard Taft attended a Cubs-Giants game in Chicago becoming the first president to ever attend a Major League Baseball game, eating popcorn and drinking lemonade while Christy Mathewson and Mordecai Three Finger Brown go at it. That's amazing. But then you look around. Jim Bottomley, Hall of Famer, set the MLB record with 12 RBIs in a game versus Brooklyn in 1924. And that's amazing in its own right. 12 RBIs for the entire team is a lot in a game for one man is insane 1937 the late great martin dehigo pitches the first professional no hit shutout on mexican soil with a four nothing victory over the nogales at veracruz dehigo led the mexican league in all four major categories era wins strikeouts, and batting average. He was one of the greatest players of his day. It's a shame that he never got to play Major League Baseball, but wanted to highlight him as well. And you look across the league. I Last week, I talked about Sandy Koufax's perfect game thrown against the Cubs in one of the better games pitched on both sides in one of those historic games. Warren Spahn at 39 years old in this date in 1960. Braves record 15 strikeouts and a no-hitter at 39 years old. And you look at 1988, Tom Browning of the Cincinnati Reds threw the 14th perfect game in Major League history. Another perfect game thrown on a solo shot Saturday. Unbelievable. But I can't highlight those. I just talked about an amazing pitching performance like that. So then you think about major milestone hits. Home runs. Mike Schmidt hit his first career home run of over 500 on this date in 1972 off the Expos' Baylor Moore. 
who had a 25 consecutive scoreless inning streak going. If you didn't know Mike Schmidt was going to be a stud, I think that was a pretty good indication that that was going to be the case. And then I thought about, oh, Dave Winfield, one of my favorite underrated players in the history of the game. Got his 3,000th hit as a Minnesota twin on this date in 1993. But do you know who also got their 3,000th hit? As a member of the Twins on this date in 1996, Paul Mahler, who I've also done a spotlight on for throwback third base. So I go through all of these amazing career moments, not even mentioning Jim Tomey joining the 500 Home Run Club on this date in 2007 to bring you what I think is the most truly remarkable one. And my good friend John will appreciate me highlighting this. But on September 16th, 1975, Pittsburgh Pirates second baseman Rennie Stennett went 7-4-7 in a 22-0 win over the Chicago Cubs, setting the modern record for most hits in a nine-inning game. Yes, Rennie Stennett, many people do not know the name, and he tied Hall of Famer Wilbur Robinson's 19th century record, who hit seven hits in a major league game, apparently, in 1892. It took that many years, almost 80 years, for it to happen again, and it hasn't happened since 1975. In a 9 in game, no player has had seven hits. And it's truly unbelievable. Lead-off double off of Rick Rushel, who was a, an amazing pitcher for the Cubs, continued, no home runs in the game, two doubles, three singles, and a triple as well to end his game with seven for seven. And you know who came in as a pinch runner after that triple for Rennie Stennett to leave the game seven for seven? Well, it was a rookie, Willie Randolph, coming in for the Pirates as a pinch runner. Just a truly amazing achievement in baseball history. One that I don't see being topped anytime soon. Like, I'm not saying that a Luis Arise couldn't go seven for seven in a nine-inning game, but the rest of the Marlins offense would have to be good enough for him to get seven attempts. So just those Pirates teams of the 70s having a 22 to nothing game and having a guy like Rennie Stennett go seven for seven, make history, modern day history that still has not been top to this day. There are members of the 3000 hit club. There are members of the 500 home run club. You'd never have a more special home run than your first, in my opinion. And Mike Schmidt had a hell of a one. But this team in 1975, making history with a seven for seven hitter. To me, it takes the cake over all of these Hall of Fame moments that I talked about today. And I wanted to highlight them all. But the one that I think deserves the most run is Rennie Stennett's seven for seven game on this date in 1975. Now, you can see I'm wearing my Red Sox jersey today, proudly despite the series loss to the Yankees. And I have to talk about it. Botching Bloom. Now, the Red Sox announced just over 48 hours ago that 
president of baseball operations, Heim Bloom, has been removed from his position. And it's definitely something that's been met with mixed emotions. The Red Sox fan base as a whole was kind of split on the Heim Bloom era. And I think that a lot of great points have been made about this whole situation. Heim was not set up to succeed. He came in after Dave Dombrowski had wiped the farm system clean, had botched contract negotiations with Mookie Betts, who wanted to hit free agency. And he had to come in and trade Mookie Betts, the best player the Red Sox have had. Some people say since Carly Stremski, Ted Williams, he was one of the top 10 players the Red Sox have ever had. And they had to trade him. That was his first order of business. When he took the job, the number one criteria wasn't where you worked before. It was, can you trade Mookie Betts? Can you be that guy for us? So he came in. He made the trade. Jeter Downs didn't work out. Verdugo's been a decent outfielder. Wong has finally come along as a true platoon catcher for them. Someone that's been great behind the plate and has started to come along as a hitter. But no Mookie Betts. In a contract year, you, you couldn't expect him to get a ridiculous haul. But what was worse was after he made that trade. He took over in the 2020 season, which I know it feels like forever ago, but that was a shortened 60-game season due to COVID. And that wasn't the most difficult part, was also that Alex Cora, the manager, the leader in the clubhouse, was suspended from Major League Baseball for his role in the Houston Astros scandal. He was not able to manage and keep the culture during the 2020 season. It was Ron Renneke and the boys. On top of that, Heim's first draft with the Boston Red Sox was only five rounds because of COVID. They shortened the draft significantly, so he wasn't able to take as many shots and really deep dive into getting some values later in the draft of guys that are controllable and can develop into potential starters or trade chips. And then he came in to fix the farm system. There was no minor league baseball in 2020 due to COVID. It was all canceled. Heim didn't get to evaluate any of those players that were in the system, figure out which ones to trade, which ones to keep. He had to go off of 2019 footage. And that's how he starts his tenure. Talk about behind the eight ball. I understand. 2021 was a surprise season for most Red Sox fans. They came out of the gates firing, had an amazing regular season. A couple postseason games away from maybe making the World Series. But in 2022, because of that success, they gave Heim the reins. They said, you can spend this offseason more than you ever had in Tampa. And Heim goes out there and has such a disappointing 2022. Finishing in last place, injuries galore, a guy who came in from Tampa that's a pitching factory, wasn't able to develop or really make a solid rotation. Now 2023, they're rocking back and forth with the Yankees in last place. And Heim Bloom gets let go here in September. 
first off, I thank Heim for everything he did for the Red Sox organization. Didn't get to finish his fourth year, but he brought in a lot of great young talent. He reportedly did not take some trades that would have crippled the Red Sox, I think, in many ways. Avoided some contracts that also would have done the same thing. And he has set the groundwork for this Red Sox team to really compete in the next half decade. Whoever they bring in, I think the Red Sox showed that even though they needed to retool the farm system, they needed to make the tough decisions of trading Mookie Betts, and Haim accomplished all that. In the Boston market, these owners aren't going to take finishing in last multiple years in a row, even if it's for the betterment of the future of the team. So you have Devers locked up as your superstar. You have this pipeline. Some of the players that are in the major leagues now, like Casas, Abeo, Rafaela. You have guys coming up through the minor leagues, Blaze Jordan, Nick York, Marcello Meyer, Kyle Teal. But this team, it's a big market. And I'm expecting whoever they bring in to spend like it's a big market to try to put them back in the race, in the toughest division in baseball, which is the American League East. And Hein Bloom, he will not get his flowers for most baseball fans. But if you look at what he was doing, the cards that he was dealt, I think they botched the Hein Bloom experiment. They brought him in to do certain things, and while not everything was an A+, great job, he made some strides, and this team, I hope, really doesn't throw away the work that he did just because you're throwing away the man himself. And I think Heim Bloom's going to get another job in Major League Baseball. He's a really bright guy. He really loves the game. He looks at it through a different lens than, than many do. And now that he's done this, I believe, much like Ben Charrington with the Pittsburgh Pirates, he can get a job with a smaller market team help develop those players. And who knows, maybe go on a run like the Pirates did earlier this season. I appreciate each and every one of you for spending part of your Saturday with me. See a few of you in the chat. Really appreciate it. For more baseball content, I'll be dropping the Solo Shot Tracker update on how we got to 3,082. On TikTok at Solo Shot Sports. You can follow me on Twitter at DominicMana44. I'll be live tweeting during baseball milestones and moments, as well as a little bit of football. As I'm a fan during the weekends, I watch a lot of it as well. We had a great week one. I'm expecting an even better week two as these players continue to shake off the rust. Many of the starters don't play in the preseason. But I hope everybody here enjoyed their time. If you learned something or like the show, please subscribe on YouTube. Leave me a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And share the show with somebody that loves baseball just like us. Until next time, I'll catch you guys next Solo Shot Saturday. Peace.